Hello, this is Prof. Dr. Leanne and with our first podcast on career information and career development. So welcome. I'm very excited about this class, particularly in the current COVID-19 world. We are experiencing a time in history that has never occurred before. Uh, Unfortunately, I can't say it may not occur again, as one never knows what is happening in the future. But right now we are front and center in a global pandemic that has resulted in the current displacement of 2.7 billion workers as as, um, postulated by the United Nations. And it is quite an unheralded historic time where the future is definitely uncertain. But there is a Chinese word that is the same for crisis um, and also the word opportunity. And I think that we are studying careers in a time when there is a major crisis and many people will be severely economically impacted financially, emotionally, psychologically, and health-wise as a result of the current pandemic. And so it is a time to think about what are the opportunities and how do we move forward in this post-COVID-19 world. So to think about the global economy, social justice and career development at this time is very timely. And I would like to start by considering what has happened before, which is the GFC in 2008, um, which gives us some indication. But um, my belief is that this is actually going to be of a size that is more equivalent to the Great Depression after the 1929 um, market crash um, of Wall Street. And so I'd like to refer to Brown, um, Chapter 1 of Career Information, Career Counseling and Career Development in his 2012 um, text. And we just want to talk, first of all, about what is globalization. And basically, the world is a very different place today and has been sort of developing into a world of interconnectedness of the global economy. Um for at least 20 years, but more so even in the past decade, it has just been a rapid, rapid development of globalization. And what that actually means is that the world is flattened. Friedman used an expression in 2005 as a flattened world in the economy. And basically that Many changes have occurred since the introduction of the internet. And we have so many huge economies now, and that's why we have the G20, which is the 20 most, um, the 20 biggest economic financial nations in the world, which excludes the poorer nations. And what we must note in this globalization is that 
There are innovative transportation technologies that have led to the world becoming one global economy, and we see that more today in 2020 than we did even in the 2008 GFC. And it simply was not the case in 1929. It did have a world impact, but the interconnectedness of the global economy that we see today simply did not exist 100 years ago, 90 years ago, actually. And so now we have mobile technologies. The phone that I'm recording this podcast on is equivalent to a whole room full of computers in the 1960s and 70s. And the data chip in it is phenomenal. And we're only on 4G, 5G is starting. So the mobile technologies that we have in the world that are there for us to use and utilize and the artificial intelligence, AI, is quite phenomenal in the world today. So we live in a world that is constantly transforming, constantly moving forward at an accelerated rate and pace that I don't think anyone could have foreseen in the early 60s with the invention of computers and the, or not the invention, but the the development and then the the incremental creep into our everyday life so that people now are attached at the hip to their phone and their screens. So that is the popular culture in which we live today. And these factors have led to globalization so that we know what's happening around the world right now in the global pandemic. We can look online and see how many deaths are occurring, what's happened, who's flattening the curve, where we might have got a decrease in cases, the deaths every day, and that can be an overwhelm. So we have this mobile technology, this innovative transportation technology, popular culture all coming together to create this boom in globalization. And right now, under COVID-19, these transportation technologies are under threat because there's no ships and no flying, which has really incrementally helped the Earth to heal from the industrialization. However, there are some real stressors on the mobile technologies and popular culture. And media overwhelm is part of this globalization today. And it's just really important to note that as we move into this idea of how these innovative transportation technologies of the 21st century and even the late 20th century have really facilitated migration, immigration, movement, and world trade, and has really opened up opportunities that would never have been even considered 50 years ago even. And in addition, what we have is legal and political protocols and policies that further remove barriers from trade So we are so much more integrated in a world economy, which means that fallout from one economy, such as what is happening right now in the US with extremely high rates of unemployment, we now have 30 million people registered for unemployment in the US, 
um, these rates are mirrored around the world as a result of the COVID-19 pandemic. And so when we have the World Trade Organization that has removed barriers from trade, we have movements now to protect trade and be protectionist within countries and prevent immigration. And countries such as Australia and Canada, which are vastly underpopulated compared to the rest of the world, but they rely on immigration because we are not growing our population naturally. People are only having one child or no child. So there are so many factors in this 21st century that have changed dramatically in the last 30 years, 20 years, and accelerated at a pace unthought of in the last 10 years that have resulted in migration of people across the world and around the world for trade and in search of new opportunities and better lives. So the world that we are talking about in 2020 relies on something called the internet and mobile technologies. It allows people to communicate with efficiency. It promotes business activities. And right now, this is my lifeline to my family and my friends around the world. So people across Australia, we're in social distancing. We can't see each other. We can't visit. We can't fly. I can't fly to Canada. Um, the world is shut down. I, however, can get on the phone every day and speak to my mother in a care home who is in lockdown and has been since the end of March. And so this technology is my connection to the world and has reduced the impact of social isolation in that I can see my family, see my friends online and able, am able to discuss developments that are happening around the world in a way that is infinitely different to the world that used to be. And so with the globalization and the capacity of the internet, which has gone from like the internet to 2G to 3G, to 4G and now 5G within a matter of five years. And this growth, this exponential explosion of internet in our lives has allowed people to communicate with efficiency, has allowed businesses to operate around the globe, has allowed people to work in very different ways, and has allowed us to interact with people that we would never normally have been able to interact. So in some ways, it has reduced barriers. But in other ways, the low labor costs and high levels of skills in countries that have been now termed developing countries such as India, have also facilitated um, a globalization of trade because international companies with a profit motive are looking to develop opportunities in markets that have low labor costs. And this has added new words to our vocabulary that simply did not exist in the 90s or even the early 2000s. I 
hesitate to say that because it's possible it did. Things like outsourcing, um, things like insourcing, things like home sourcing. These words did not exist before. And international companies are outsourcing and insourcing labor and levels of skills in countries such as India, Sri Lanka, um, all throughout Asia, Africa, the Philippines, South America, and developing opportunities in these markets. And democracy and capitalism has also led to developments and contributed to opening up societies and promoting globalization. We only have to look at China to see how China has gone from a communist country to a promotion of capitalism and entrepreneurialism that has now actually been seen as huge in this COVID-19 pandemic because China has been shut down. So supplies of multiple things, including masks and ventilators for those suffering, have been diminished and there's been a real search for other suppliers and a look internally as to how we can manage markets ourselves internally having shut many manufacturing industries down in places like Australia, Canada, America and New Zealand. Now we have to look at self-sufficiency again. So there's many changes in the globalized world that are occurring as a result of COVID-19 and we, as I was talking about with um, the popular culture and the exponential increase of socialization and uh, awareness of other cultures, there's been a huge growth of understanding between societies across the world and an incremental increase in international co cooperation between governments, especially around areas of military operations and environmental programs and the awareness of the big scientific experiment that occurred with COVID-19 shutting down industries and the environmental health that has occurred with no ships in the ocean, so whales and dolphins and less plastics and CO2s in the atmosphere and just the healing of a hole in the ozone and just better air quality. These are all environmental considerations that have been on the radar for the last 70 to 170 years, but are now being seen as an impact of this globalization, industrialization, the sharing of societies, the sharing of economies, and this interconnected global economy that we all live in today. And so while we can see that there are multiple advantages to this, it, this globalization and this interconnectedness, so one is that it facilitates economic growth and in so doing helps increase the standard of living of many people. From one perspective, globalization also encourages global competition, uh, creativity, 
and innovation. The innovations we see in the world today have been a development of this globalised economy and a world where we travel freely between most countries and accept each other and different political systems much more openly than before. And consequently, there's a promotion in that and an understanding by many of the more educated and um, aware people in society of promotion, a promotion of global justice in trade and diversity and to actually look and understand global equality and inequality and advocate, advocacy around social justice and social equality for all, especially in view of the developing countries whose skills and labour we are utilising from the Western world's perspective at a rate to help us, but it is in some ways helping the countries that we are getting these labour sources, outsources from. But there is a very real downside to globalisation and I think that COVID-19 has really brought that downside to the front of our awareness. It is not something we can hide from anymore. And the disadvantages include a loss of valuable resources to other countries. And that's not just the natural resources like water, um, minerals, wood, and farming produce. It's also the loss of people and brain drains of countries, labor forces leaving to where they can get more money and live a better life. But the other part of this is in a globalized world, in a globalized world, individuality and individual cultures can be lost and fade. And so identity and sense of pride in self can be deteriorated, which is a psychological consequence, but it's also a more interesting consequence of globalization. And when we talk of monoculture, we see the impact of such a globalized culture where American ideas can really predominate in the world of music and that pop culture phenomenon of films and theaters and uh, just the invasion of different cultures that seem to overtake the less and the minority cultures, the less affluent cultures, the and we're not just talking like individual countries' cultures, we're talking about all the diaspora in that um, in that country. So let's just take Malaysia, for example. You have the Malay, you have the Chinese Malay, the Indian Malay, which are of Tamil origin mainly. Then you have indigenous groups, which are scattered around all the different um, states of Malaysia. 
China the same. You have multiple different cultures within China. South America, you have multiple different cultures and different language groups and so many indigenous groups. And when we become this big global culture, there's good things about that because we share an understanding and we seem to know more about each other. But there is also a sadness and a bit of grief over losing the individuality of our cultures. And I think of Australia very clearly in this as becoming more and more, and we've talked about this many times in my family and my friends and my academic circles, the Americanization of Australian culture and things that just would never have occurred 20 years ago even are now just accepted as part of Australian society, whichever very American. Um, and that is part of the pop cultural phenomenon where we have all kinds of people engaged in watching the same TV programs, watching different movies, having the same musicians and actors that are admired by societies across the world. And in Asia, there's even a bit of um, like an Asian movie, Asian musician, Asian TV programs that sort of rule across the world. So if you live in Korea and Japan, you have your favorite Korean groups, but they have extended their influence through China, Malaysia, Indonesia, Singapore, all throughout Asia. And then you have Bollywood, which is an Indian movie tradition that has taken over the globe and is um, very, very popular in many, many places around the world. So that's a wonderful thing. However, it also can have a downside. And the one big concern, I think, and the big disadvantage, which has really been brought to the fore by um, the globalization and the pandemic of COVID-19, is an inadequate internal regulation on the environment and the safety of people. And people aren't making the connection as clearly as it could be made between climate change and the increase of pandemics. So that is another concern because that is the health of people and then the safety of people. Because now the world is not as safe as it was two months ago or three months ago because people who have no security in work, no security in money coming in, no security in food or housing, become desperate people. And so at this time, it is really, really important that we look at ways to move forward and how we can address some social justice issues and help come out of COVID-19 with a way forward and look at the different career opportunities and job meaning makings and, and new job options that we can help, especially minority and special populations. So let's look at the unflattened workers. So we've got the flattened globe and we've got now the flattening of the curve for COVID-19. But Let's look at the benefits of a globalized market where access to global markets produces goods and services less expensively than they can be produced in one country. And of course, we'll talk mainly about the US because 
as of even this year, it is one of the largest economies and strongest economies in the world. It's sort of losing a little ground to China, but it is still the most influential and largest economy in the world. So let's sort of look there and then let's look at how African, Asian and South American poor countries, like the developing countries, have not been helped by globalization as much. And in fact, according to Stiglitz and many others, issues of access to food and clean water and housing and work may have been worsened by globalization. And of course, developed countries have been known to exploit the workers in poorer countries and therefore not take care of them, but also in ways that we are just beginning to understand how bad they are, have added to the pollution of the environment as well, which has then added to global climate change and which actually has led to the increased incidence of things like pandemics. So let's look at uh, the unfattened worker. Um, at all meetings of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank and the G20, which, are, which I already mentioned as being um, made up of the countries with the largest economies, there's always groups of protesters demanding social justice for the poor and protection of the global environment. And there is much opposition to the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank. And according to Greenwell in 2009, some of these protesters believe that with the consent of these really strong, large economies, the G20 countries, the IMF and the World Bank have actually supported policies that are harmful to impoverished people in Africa, Asia, South America, and small Pacific islands, as well as many other countries elsewhere in Eastern Europe and um, throughout Asia. So according to Stiglitz, stable governments and stable financial systems are prerequisites to help reform and provide social justice for everyone. So equality, access to healthcare, access to education, access to clean water, access to food, and access to work. And when Friedman was talking about the flattened world, not as in, you know, the world is flat, but the flattened economy and the global economy, there are some other reasons that he believes that this flattening has bypassed millions, millions of people in order to have the advantages, to reap the advantages of the opportunities that this global economy represents, people need to have governments that provide an infrastructure that includes access to education, healthcare, and social network so that if there is a disaster, such as what we're experiencing, loss of jobs, that the government can step in and help the, everyone in the country 
weather the storm. And what we are seeing is that countries such as Australia, New Zealand, Canada, China, Japan, um, Taiwan, Hong Kong, Korea, which Hong Kong and China and Taiwan are all one government, but they're not one government, um, are doing remarkably well at providing still access to education, healthcare, and social networks for all their citizens and provision of um, employment benefits, money, uh, which is across the board. However, countries such as America and some other Asian, African and South American countries, there are so many displaced people uh, that are not able to access this. And this is the case in Canada, Australia and New Zealand as well. Let's not forget Indigenous populations and marginalised populations but there is this social network in these countries that can offset some of the dramatic impacts of things like COVID-19. And so how does this all lead to career? Well, it's all about career because if we don't have access to economic equity, economic capacity, to have an education, to have healthcare, to have food, to have water and housing, then we simply cannot engage and survive in life. And if we don't have a job, it is very difficult to provide for those things in most of the countries of the world. And even if we are getting government handouts currently, they may come to an end. And if they do, we are all in the one boat of trying to find work that sustains us and provides us with housing, food and water first and then education and healthcare second. And those housing, food and water lead to better health. So when we're looking at a society that is free from racism and discrimination, everyone has equal opportunity to access all these things but certain things are missing and improving education and eliminating the digital divide is key to providing work for people especially in the post-COVID-19 world. Currently education is very difficult for people to access. You have to have access online or you have to teach from home, which is really impossible if you don't have an education as parents yourself. And if you don't have an internet connection, you are unable to access. What has been really interesting is that buses have been linked up to internet and have gone out to certain communities to provide internet access to those without internet in their homes. And yes, people, in 2020, there are many, many millions of homes around the globe that do not have the internet. They do not have access. So they cannot access education. And right now, they can't access the health because if you don't have an internet connection you may not be able to call because you may not have credit so because they don't have computers or can't afford internet service there's many 
issues with taking advantage of opportunities that other countries and people with those things have. And social justice, therefore, can't be met. It cannot be realised until people have jobs to afford these things and the opportunity to to prepare for and enter those jobs is crucial, but it's missing. And so what we need is a new model for career development. And that's what we are talking about here. And I'm very excited whilst very, very worried. And so I have this twin edge of the blade thinking opportunity of how do we help people find work and create careers and help them look for meaningful work in a world where right now, as I said earlier, 2.7 billion people around the globe are being impacted by this global pandemic. So let's just take a bit of a review of globalization, impacts of globalization, the social justice issues, access to health education, and the underlying importance for career development so that all have equal access to meaningful work. Before we go on to our next. So where does that leave us today in May 2020? Well, Bluestein and colleagues in 2005 suggested that current models of career development practice do not really provide a basis for addressing all the social ills of many of our client groups and most career models including Holland's 1997 theory they focus on providing one-to-one assistance to client groups not many of these extent theories provide a basis for addressing vocational and economic problems and I think that the COVID-19 pandemic is one of the areas where we have a lot of opportunity for growth and development and is a real opportunity for those of us in the field. So if we're looking at um, a new model for career development, then what we need to do is look at community psychology, organisational development and change theory and practice. And there's emerging literature that has got a, now a decade of um, dealing with collaboration in the change process. And additional theory building may not be required so much as adopting theories and practices from other fields and working collaboratively and in teams when so we're using organizational development teams we're using change theory psychs we're using all the collaborative change process literature these are the new models so um skills needed for people such as us so this is what this is about how do career counsellors dedicate themselves to fostering social justice, especially when we know that in all societies there is a real problem with migrant undocumented workers that are living under the table, under the radar, and getting cash 
And in social distancing and shutdown of economies, these people are now in extreme poverty because they have not had jobs for up to some people two, three months. Uh, in China, it's been 79, 80 days. I myself have been in self-isolation for 66 days. And Australia itself is not looking at having flights internationally for six to nine months. So what we're looking at is whilst we're coming out of MCOs, like we're coming out of movement control orders, there's, you know, a relaxing, New Zealand is relaxed, and a level three, Malaysia's relaxed, um, is still not there. And so what we need to think of is how do we foster social justice and opportunities to get back into work, especially for those populations that have now been displaced and lost their jobs, as well as those ones that have already been there and just hidden under the radar. So we need to have our traditional skills of individual and small group career counselling. We have to be coaches for career. We have to look at educational planning, like how do we work towards a new career in this post-COVID world? What are the means of assessment? What are the actual opportunities for job placement? And how do we deliver and design psychoeducational learning experiences? Not just online, but predominantly online right now. <laughs> and let's have a look at the array of different clients that we have. So students with special needs, requiring special education, students um, that have disabilities, adults that have been displaced, people returning to work because partners have lost work. So maybe mothers, maybe single mothers. There are so many people um, that will be looking for work and there'll be a wide array of clients available to us. And what we need to now consider in pretty much everyday life is that internet and that computer in the workplace and decentralization of the workplace. So many workers have been working from home and home sourcing. The word that was sort of a rarity has now become the word. That is what we are doing. We are working from home. I have been working from home and doing this for months. And while many major airlines are not even operating and have laid off people, so there's they're not outsourcing reservation agent jobs. What's happening is those flight attendants. So I have a friend who works for Emirates based in Dubai. He's now doing the call center work because he's a flight attendant and he's not flying. No one's flying. So again, outsourcing or insourcing, using your resources because you have a commitment to your workers and keeping them at work in ways of using a computer, using a telephone and being a call center agent. And we have seen the replacement of workers through ATMs, they've replaced bank tellers, clerical workers that are replaced by smart software. We don't need the typist. We can just type it in, like speak it like I am right now, and it will be dicta typed for us. And these are just some of the 
technological innovations that have decreased employment opportunities in some areas, but have increased exponentially opportunities in other areas. And computers are used everywhere. Education, healthcare, business, um, restaurants, uh, checkouts, um, stocks, uh, farms. <laughs> uh, and system analysts who design computer systems are also in high demand, uh, as well as construction companies because we need to install fiber optic cables to connect computers and telephones. And then we need to have salespeople who can sell this various technological innovation to you. And so the rapid impact of the internet on the dissemination of information and social networking and selling has surprised huge proportions of the world and only a very, very, very few really understood how much the internet could impact life and the growth of the games industry, the growth of just web builders and websites and webmasters and the specialized skills needed to market products on the internet. All these things have just become part and parcel of everyday life in most countries around the globe in 2020. And thankfully, we've still been able to order online so we can get food in our homes if we have money. We can get those things that we didn't need in our homes if we have internet. So the 21st century has really been about eliminating certain jobs, but a huge creation of other possible jobs and changed the physical nature of the workforce and the workplace and created new tools, which is quite exciting. And because one's occupation determines where and how one lives generally, um, the internet has changed that too. And so whether we want to work at home, we can work wherever we want around the world. So for example, if I wanted to live and work in a Pacific island and do this podcast, as long as I had internet connectivity, I could do that and I would still be performing my work. Um, if technological change produces upgrading of most workers and provides most people with an opportunity, it seems to be a little bit more equitable for everybody to achieve a social status. And then that social status now becomes even more closely related to our job. So the demand for people who can create something out of nothing will increase dramatically. So think of Facebook and Twitter. They didn't really exist and did nothing. But now that's what people live through and buy through and comment on the world through. And as we have seen and we are very grateful to the healthcare workers, we're not just talking the nurses and the doctors, they are putting their lives every day on the line to help us with COVID-19, but we're also talking about the cleaners in the hospitals, the general grocery store clerks that are out there helping us through this crisis. We're talking about the postal delivery and the people who are bringing us our online deliveries. 
But we know that the demand for nurses, nurse assistants, home care aides and other primary care workers will increase and has continued to increase. And with what's happening in aged care homes with a lot of deaths due to COVID-19, um, we are now also going to have to look at how do we provide better care for our elderly. And what we're looking at now is also a growth in the world population. And in 2050, it is estimated that the world population will be 9 to 10 billion. And so we are going to need to provide food for that population. And therefore, we will need to have scientists and farmers who can produce the food to put on our table so that we can live and feed these people. And more importantly, and even more fundamental, is the need for water, clean, fresh water, which has been turned into undrinkable salt water because of climate change. And now we will need to continue to grow the desalination um, technology to, so that we can use water for food production and leisure uses as well as human consumption. Another growth area will be paraprofessionals who are important sources of assistance to workers in government programs. And lifelong learning will be not just a cliche, it will be necessary to maintain um, job status. We will have to continue to learn new things and it is has been a part of my growth in the last few months to learn all about this technology and podcasts and um, especially because of some people not having internet connectivity. How do I allocate uh, small segments that's not going to take up too much data consumption? So it's podcast versus video uh, or doing little video blogs, doing occasional snapshots and live classes. Um, so yeah, lifelong learning, it's not just about actually taking courses, it's actually about learning skills to use the technology. And so this idea of going to work in a centralised place is really going to be increasingly decentralised as our global economy just continues to grow. And instead of commuting to offices, which we have not been doing and some of us are dreading getting back in our cars and doing the commute to work, um, we can now use the software to facilitate meetings and small groups and um, just reduce the need for travel, which again is a more sustainable and more environmental practice because it reduces CO2. And who knows what's going to happen to the airline industry. So we have to look at that and cruising. So we're just going to stop here and now we are going to focus on uh, one particular country. So let's just take a break and move on in the next part two.